So about that charge, the Sarvabhuma said, Mahaprabhu will go in Rati Yatra and he will go mad. At a certain point he will fall in the trance. At that time come, not dressed like a king, but like an ordinary Vaishnava. Then you come and you sing this poem, Gopi Gita, and Mahaprabhu will, will, will notice you. So coached by Bhattacharya, Pratap Maharaj, he came dressed as an ordinary Vaishnava. Mahabhu fell in the trance. He began to sing, Tabukatamritam taptajivanam kavibiriditam kalmasapaham shravanamangalam srimaratatam bubigrantiye budidadjanaha. Songs like this. And when he got to this song, maybe fifth slok of Gopigita, Mahaprabhu said, got up from his trance, grabbed him, and said, Go on chanting. Say more. Say more. Tovukatamritam. Gopis are singing. This is Gopi Gita. Gopis are singing. Your kata, harikata, songs about you is amritam. Tavokata amritam. That is amrit. Amrit means nectar. Nectar of immortality. Gopis are singing this song because previous to this four verses in Gopi Gita, they've described their own position to some extent. And... They're thinking, if we were Krishna's devotees, certainly he would come here. But he hasn't come. Therefore, we, maybe we're not his devotees. This is a song glorifying those devotees who go everywhere and distribute the nectar of Harikata. This is a sign of real spiritual life. Mahaprabhu said, Naprema gando sti drapi meharo. In me, not a drop, not a scent of prem can be found. Because if there was any prem in me, any love for Krishna, then how could I go on with my life? Just carrying on, eating, mating, sleeping, whatever, carrying on these normal bodily activities. How could I have any time for them if I had a trace of scent even of love of Krishna? Because I do go on with these things, there's the proof. So it is said in Upanishad, those who say they know Brahman, they don't know Brahman. Those who say I don't know Brahman, they know Brahman. They know something about that, what is unknowable, unknown and unknowable. Mahaprabhu prayed like that. Gopis are in this mood, in this, in this shloka. They're thinking, if we had any love, Krishna would have come, because he comes to his devotees. They mentioned the previous day, he always comes, but we, we must not be devotees. Therefore he's not coming. But it's not really that we are maintaining our lives either. We're actually not maintaining our lives. They're going on automatically by the force of harikata, which comes from our lips automatically, naturally. Only life is possible, real life, in connection with Bhagavad Bhakti, with Krishna. Bhagavad Bhakti hinasya jati shastram japatapa it is only a decoration of a dead body, that life that goes on, in spite of learning, jati, birth, good birth, jati, shastram, beauty, all these things. This is only like ornamenting a dead body if there's no Bhagavad Bhakti. Life is Bhagavad Bhakti. So they said, our life is going on, but it's going on because Harikata is on our lips and we can't get it off. It has such power. Real spiritual life is like this. No thought of maintenance. The atis, the tyagis, they are not to think of their maintenance. We are to think of that. The common people, we are to think of that. Provide that. 
What is Bhagavatam? Karunayaha Puranagriyam. Sudha Goswami praises his Guru Sukadev. Karunayaha, in the very beginning, Puranagriyam. The Puranagriyam, the secret of this Purana, Srimad Bhagavatam. It came from my Gurudev, Sukadev, Karunaya, out of compassion. Not to make any money, not to make a business out of that. Collecting disciples. I can make sure I have chupatis in my old age. So that I will become well-known, prestigious. People will think I'm somebody, I have a flock. No thought like that. Sukadev was wandering naked. He came upon the assembly where Maharaj Parikshit was inquiring and everyone could understand, though he's in a position to answer. And karunaya Puranagriyo, an overflow out of compassion, karunaya, he spoke, Srimad Bhagavatam. Filled up, it means. Filled up. No need. If any need, it is needed to, to share it in exuberance of understanding of the, of the experience and appreciation to share it with others. We can get this position from Harikata, therefore, Tavokatam, Ritam, Tapta, Jivanam. Everything is there in Harikata. That Harikata. Tavokatam, Ritam, Tapta, Jivanam. So, Tapta, Jivanam. That life of material existence that is so difficult to overcome, that can be overcome by Harikata. We can get Amrit. Immortality. That means a Gyan and Bairag must be there. Gyan and Bairag. Because Gyan means knowledge. What is our material suffering about? The ignorance of attachment. That's what it's about. So we get knowledge as to the nature of attachment. Corresponding with that, that comes Vairagya. So if this Harikata has the power to bring an end to this material suffering, Tapta Jivanam, then it must have Gyan and Bairag in it. Then, Tavokatamitam tapta jivanam kavibir iditam kalmasapaham. It is so nice, the gopis say, that kavibir iditam, that the kavis, the poets, they write about it. Now, usually poets write about ordinary things and put them into words, beautiful arrangements of words, and we so much regard their words. But these words about Krishna, they are writing poetry about that. So nice. Kavibhiditam kalmasapaham. Kalmasa means sins. Those activities that cause bondage. Kalmasapaham. It can remove this. So what removes sin is dharma. So dharma must be there. What is dharma? Virya. Dharma is real strength. Not his physical strength. That is nothing. Arjuna had great physical strength. Maharati. Great physical strength. And by material attachment, he was reduced to nothing, whimpering, dropping his bow. But if he is to act according to dharma, then such strength is there. Real virya means dharma. So dharma is there, virya is there. Gyan, vairagya, dharma, kalmasapam, shravanamangalam. Shravanamangalam is who hears shravanamangalam. Their life becomes mangalam, auspicious, means yasha, fame, fame comes to them. They become famous, who hear this harikata, they became fam- famous all over the world, enduring fame. Tavokatamritam tapta jivanam kaviviriditam kalmasapam 
Shravanamangalam Srimad Atatam. Srimad. Sri means beauty. You cannot talk about Krishna without talking about Radha. Krishna means that manifestation of the Absolute that corresponds to the hearts that are filled with the measure of devotion we find in gopis. That is why I'm Bhagavan. So where is that Krishna? It's in the hearts of those devotees that, with that kind of devotion that they exhibit. So she is there in Harikatha. Real beauty. Such beauty that the beauty of the world is, uh, is overshadowed. And Atatamsimarata means wealth. Wealth means as much as it's distributed, it grows. Ordinary thing, idea, if you distribute it, if you get a very good idea and you distribute it, then other people may take advantage of that, you may lose money. But this, the more you give it out, the more it grows. So, Parashamuni has said, this is Bhagwan, who has Sadaishvarya, Gyan, Bairagya, wealth, beauty, and what other? Bairagya, detachment. They are detached. They are detached in another sense also because their whole life is spent only for the sake of others. These people, the gopis say, who hear this Harikata, who are drinking this, and who distribute this everywhere, they are doing parupakar, the highest welfare work, highest philanthropy, highest manifestation of altruism, caring for the soul. They want to take people beyond the dualities of good and bad, happy and sad. They identify in this platform and in this way with everyone, and they spend their time tirelessly distributing harikata. This is real compassion. And when we arrive at that authentically, as I say, we pass through the shadow of compassion that Arjuna is experiencing here. So, compassion is synonymous with spiritual life in the real sense. But we should have identification with eternality to understand the full face of anything. Compassion as well. So here we have the shadow of all good qualities. And in Vedanta, in Krishna consciousness, we have the substance of them. Now here in this verse, are we reminded of Arjuna's compassion being mundane as it is at this time? We also can understand that, that he has a kind of compassion for family members, although it's mundane, that Duryodhan didn't have. So it's a good sign also. This is my point. It's bad. It's a sign of his material attachment. We want to stress on that point. We've made considerable emphasis on this since it came up in chapter 1. But it's good, too. The sign of his good qualities. So it means a devotee will have natural compassion. One disciple of mine, a young lady, she grew up in a devotee family. When she first heard, her parents told me the story, she first heard what they uh, do in order to produce meat in the market through the cows, and she just began to cry and cry. Just to hear that, the, the slaughter of the cows. She cried. So we should, this is, uh, should be there. Some natural compassion for the suffering of humanity and people in general, just in terms of their material circumstances. So it's a good quality of Arjuna. As we'll see a little further along here, uh, we refer back to the first chapter, and, and many of the things we find that Arjuna said there that we criticized 
we said are symptoms of his rationalization and his attachment, they also show that there is qualification for being a disciple, for being a devotee. So here, also now, in this first paragraph, we've mentioned that this chapter constitutes a, a sutra-like commentary on the whole text. So it's appropriate, because here really is, the, is there are many places where we can mark this is the beginning of Bhagavad Gita and this is the end. So this is, of course, one of the places in this chapter where Krishna begins to speak and instruct Arjuna. He spoke in the previous chapter just saying, just see all the gurus assembled here. And we made much of that. We drew a lot from that. But as far as speaking the wisdom of Bhagavad Gita and teaching Arjuna, it begins in this chapter. So it can be said also, this is the beginning of Bhagavad Gita. And to understand a book properly, we have to understand the beginning, the introduction, and we have to understand the conclusion. There should be some correspondence between the two. A few other items are mentioned in in logic for understanding the book. What is the theme throughout, and what is repeated throughout, and so forth, and what is unique about it. But but here we find appropriately Bhagavad Gita second chapter is a is a summary of the contents in a sense, and the 18th chapter is as well. So in a sutra-like form, so it has to be drawn out, and as we go through it, we'll, we'll find, especially in, a, in the latter part, how Krishna is taking us through everything that's to come. Then, in this verse also, we find that it's, it is significant that, as it is in many verses, the names that are used, here Sanjaya is calling Krishna Madhusudana, so the implication of this is what? In the end of the previous chapter, Arjun dropped his bow. And he said, uh, he looked like it's over. Now who's who's hearing this, as we know from the first chapter, is Dhritarashtra, Sanjaya's narrating to the king. So when Arjun put up all these good arguments and resisted and dropped his bow, naturally, Dhritarashtra, who wanted Duryodhana and his sons to win the war, he concluded... Looks good. Looks like Arjun's not going to fight. If Arjun doesn't fight, then my sons will win by default. So he's elated at this point. But just by the invoking the, the name Madhusudana, to address Krishna as Madhusudana, in one name, Sanjaya is telling him, "Don't you're reading his mind, you, you think it's, it's going your way. Don't think like that. You'll lose everything. He's Madhusudana. Madhusudana means... One meaning is Krishna who slayed the demon Madhu. Kaitabha and Madhu in the previous incarnation. Representing uh, sweet and bitter, happiness and distress. The doubts that arise in the, by identifying with material life that cause us to be in the midst of a duality of happiness and distress. Madhu Sudhana. Krishna means he removed that entirely. So the doubts of Arjuna by invoking this name that are causing him to hesitate Suspension, suspicion leads to suspension. When we have some doubt, we're suspended. That suspension of Arjuna will be removed, Sanjay is saying. Don't get your hopes up. Krishna is Madhusudana. As he removed that Madhu, he will remove all of the doubts, the demons of doubts. Doubts are like demons. Because as I say, they, they hold us back from moving forward happily and freely. We have to proceed in doubt with caution. 
Well, in its way, the second chapter is introduced. I'll read it and the purport. When Arjun dropped his bow at the end of the previous chapter, Dhritarashtra's heart leaped. The old king thought, despite Sanjaya's subtle inferences to the country, it appears that I was right, because previously he uh, inferred through his language that he would not be successful. Dharmakshetra, Kurukshetra. The piety, Dhritarashtra's thinking, of the Pandavas and that of Kurukshetra have combined to grant victory to my son by default. Arjuna will not fight, and Duryodhana will be the king without shooting an arrow. Sensing his false hopes, Sanjaya continues his narration relating how Krishna, whom he addresses here as Madhusudana, begins to speak. He refers to Krishna by this name to indicate to Dhritarashtra that just as Krishna had long before slain the demon Madhu, so now he will, would slay the demon-like doubts of Arjuna. Free from doubt, Arjuna will fight and be victorious. Although Arjuna's reluctance to fight appears to be supported by valid and even religious concerns, Krishna thinks otherwise, as does Sanjaya, comparing his doubts to demons. But I didn't mean to take as long as I did on this first verse. I wanted to go through quite a few more and uh, this section. So I want to, as we go through this, as I have been, show how to break the the conversation of Krishna and Arjuna into sections of so this is this this is one section in, in a sense because it's Sanjaya's introductory verse, and uh, Krishna will speak next for two verses, and as I say, he dismisses all of the doubts of Arjuna. He comes very strongly back, and then Arjuna makes us in, in the fourth verse up until verse nine, and, and well, fourth verse he begins an effort to make a comeback and reiterate his concerns, but really he's caved in at this point. It's, it, it, Krishna's wisdom is too too great, and his kindness and affection for Arjuna too great for him to resist doing anything but taking shelter of him as he, he does. This is all part of one section. So from verse 2 up to verse uh, 8, actually, before Sanjaya uh, speaks, is one section. He speaks two verses following that, and then Krishna begins his Upanishadic wisdom. So I think perhaps we've talked uh, long enough for this evening. Are there any questions? So I should mention before I answer any questions, so for your homework, your study, you can read that article on compassion, getting to the heart of compassion. You can read Gopi Gita, as it's represented in Aesthetic Vedanta, my book Aesthetic Vedanta, I commented on that Gopi Gita. That's in the third chapter, inside of the third chapter of that uh, book. And you can read Chaitanya Charitamrita, Madhilila. In Prabhupada's edition, I think it is the fifth volume of Madhilila, where Mahaprabhu dances in Ratiyatra. And there you can read how Prataprudhu Maharaj went and sang Gopi Gita. This way, if you go and study these sections, then you can gradually begin to get, in, get a sense of the organic nature of this literature, how it all works together, and it's systematic and so forth. And then in time, as you read someone's book or you hear someone speak about the Gaudiya Vaishnavism, you can be acquainted with the source material 
that they're speaking from, and then access more what they're talking about. And so that's what all these books are for. When I was young, much younger man, beginning my life as a sadhaka, this is how we spent our time, myself and some other brahmacharis like Brahmadas, <laughs> with with me in those days, reading these books inside out and backwards and reading in the purport and Prabhupada we refer in his Gita purport to something in the Bhagavatam then we would go to the Bhagavatam Ganapati Maharaj and I taught him to study like this we'd go to the Bhagavatam and we'd read that verse and in that purport he referred to something in Bhakti Rasamrita and we'd go to that book and from that book wherever that took us to Chaitanya Charitamrita till we ended then we go back to the Bhagavad Gita where we were reading this way we would study when I just for if I may as an aside, first got the first six volumes of Prabhupada's edition of Bhagavatam. I was living in a new Dwarka, Prabhupada's temple in Los Angeles at that time as a brahmachari. And um, I was uh, fond of distributing Prabhupada's books. And another f- very good friend of mine, a godbrother of mine, was organizing that book distribution. He was organizing my enthusiasm, actually, and trying to Marketed it to other devotees. And so every Friday night, we would organize for all of the devotees to go out and distribute Prabhupada's books on Saturday. All the householders in the community, and what we would arrange, what car they would go in and where they would go. And I used to have in my head like a map of Los Angeles, all the places to go and talk to people. And, <laughs> and so um, then the next morning, Saturday morning, we would put the notice on at different conspicuous places around the temple. So and so and his wife would go here and this couple would go there and then I would go after breakfast and knock on everybody's door and invite them to come and give Harikata to the people in the form of these books. It was very, very, very wonderful times and um, and so one such Saturday morning, at that time we only had chapters of Prabhupada's edition in paperback, but at this time six hardbound volumes the first canto in two in three volumes, the second canto in two volumes, and one volume of the third canto came out, and they were had, had been brought into the book room. And uh, my godmother Ramaswarpur, he knew about it, and so he told me, and we went in, and we opened the boxes, and there were these effulgent editions of Bhagavatam. One of my disciples found one of those original Bhagavatams. That had, had like had never been used. He gave it to me as a gift. I'm just looking at that book. I go into a trance. Just looking at the cover of that book. And that day we went into a trance. He and I. We were so intoxicated by this, and we thought. He said, and we we concluded. I guess we shouldn't give this to the devotees to the devotees right now, because they're all preparing to go out. If we give them these, they'll just become intoxicated. They'll never get out to the streets. They'll just. So we'll wait until they get back at night, and then we'll give them the books. So we got everybody out, organized it and all, then I went out with those books. I used to drive in Prabhupada's car. It was his car when he came. It was a little Toyota station wagon. And I drove to the airport in Los Angeles, and it was illegal to sell books there. But I went there, and uh, only, only on Saturdays I would go. And I would sit down with people and talk to them. And I would think if I got a book, they gave them a book, they would take it to so many corners of the world. 
then that would be good service to to Prabhupada and now Parampara. That's how I thought. And I was so intoxicated by the books that when I gave the book the, these new volumes, I would give it to a person. I would say, "Now be very careful with this book. I'll share it with you. I, we ask a contribution for the book. If you should take it, I want to advise you when you take it home, you keep it in a sacred place." And I was—they must have thought I was a little crazy, actually. <laughs> but it, I, but they—I was so um, I had such feeling for the book that they bought them on that account. They, they thought this must be something very. Extraordinary. And I was actually at the time I was meditating on things like whoever has the Bhagavatam in their home, all the gods come there every day and pay obeisances, and all auspiciousness will come in an ordinary sense. And, Ra- and Krishna's there, Radha's the heart of Bhagavatam. You know. I was thinking, what a good fortune I was offering them. So, anyway, when I finished, I came back. I had given about 30 of those books out, which was unheard of in those days. And when I got back, I came back later, and everyone else had come back, and Ramasprabhu had been giving them their books, and they were all intoxicated. And I was intoxicated, I couldn't speak. My voice was choked, and I couldn't speak, and I came in, and Ramasprabhu, he could, re- he could read the language of my sentiments. He just took one look at my face, and, and he, he, he said, here's your books. Actually, now that I think, I said I was a brahmachari. I, was, I, was, I wasn't brahmachari at that time, I was married. I joined the mission as a married man, a young man with a pregnant wife, and later I became Vanaprastha and then a sannyasi in a few years. But I went back home across the street to my apartment. The temple was providing an apartment for my wife and I at the time, and I came in the house and I put the Bhagavatams on the altar, I had a little altar in my house, and I offered Artik the Srimad Bhagavatam. This way we should have respect, regard for Srimad Bhagavatam, such regard. We should pay such attention. It said Sukadev Goswami heard for seven days Srimad Bhagavatam and nights without sleeping, without even drinking water. He paid such attention as if he would die in seven days. And as I said before, we will all die in seven days, either Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. <laughs> Every day we should pay close attention. So you can imagine the plight then of Srinivas when the grantas of the Goswamis had been stolen. And his mission was to take them and distribute them to the Bengal. They might be copied by hand. So he remained behind. He stayed in the vicinity. And he came then into the assembly of the local king, the Raj there. And um, there was a Bhagavatam recital that took place every day. And so the priest who recited the Bhagavatam, the Srinivas would come, and nobody knew who he was or what he was what he was about. He was quiet and just in his anxiety and separation for those books, tried to take some solace in hearing Bhagavatam and praying to Krishna what, what, what to do, how he could recover them. So he's hearing the Bhagavatam, and the Bhagavatam speaker said something. Because he had a feeling for the Bhagavatam, he knew what it was about. Without thinking that he was in the assembly of the king, and this was the official pundit of the king. He just said, that's not right. He said it like this. It, this is what the meaning of that verse is. He just began to explain the verse. And everyone, who is this infidel? Speaking in the king's assembly, and the king's pundit is pontificating <laughs> from the Bhagavatam. And you have the audacity to speak up. You say he said the wrong thing. He explained the Bhagavatam wrong. You'd better, you know, say something. So he did. He spoke the meaning of that verse. 
from Gaudiya Vaishnava conception. And the king was charmed. The Pandit was charmed. And then the king said, after talking with him at some point, he said, you know something? We have these books that we can't understand. They're in his chest. Maybe you can explain them to us. It is said that when those books were packed, Chaitanya Charitamrita went in first at the bottom and then all the other books. And then when they opened the chest, it had risen to the top. And they got the books back in this way. So we should have appreciation for these books. People like Prabhupada took so much time to write them. I take time to write them. Any book I see anybody write, I think, oh, I pay my respect to them. <laughs> I know what it takes to write, to write a book. And then we take the book and we, we don't want to pay what it's worth. We want to get it as cheap as we can. <laughs> and uh, we read a little here, there, and we've got so many other things to do. We read through the no, It should take all of our time. We should study it over and over and over again. And all of the books, they're given for it to us. Karunayaha Puranuguyam, the secret of these Puranas and literature, set of compassion they've been given to us. We should embrace that compassion, and we will get some compassion, means some feeling for all these things. And then when we hear someone talk, we can understand where it's coming from, what it's about, whether it's saying the correct thing or not. We have some feeling for it, and we need that. That is Vaishnavism. It's all about feeling. We're feeling takes over thinking. That is Vaishnavism proper. Ruchi bhakti, asakti, and bhava means these stages where feeling takes over and spontaneity enters into our practice. Now in the meantime, you use your intelligence. Use your intelligence. You don't have much feeling for Krishna bhakti. You have feeling for other things. So now use your intelligence. Where will that feeling take you? So harness that feeling with your intelligence derived from this repeated study of Srimad Bhagavatam and so forth that will bring you to that means yes you can stay busy in Krishna's service with your body you can stay busy most of us don't even do that but we can stay busy but those who like to stay busy often avoid thinking about the whole thing deeply we'll be more committed when we not only stay busy in Krishna's service, but we exercise the full measure of our intelligence in Krishna's service. That means we have to think about this thing in many ways, in relation to times that we live in today, in a contemporary way, for example. As I said with regard to Arjuna's questioning of Arjuna, of Krishna, this is for thinking people, deep thinking. Don't attach yourself to some brand of Gaudiya Vaishnavism or spiritual life that doesn't demand the full exercise of your rationale. And don't think that in doing that you'll find that the logic of Krishna consciousness or Gaudiya Vaishnava is absolutely perfect. You'll find that it's not. That's what you'll find. You'll find that it's perfect for you, it appeals to you, but it's not universally such that you can just give the logic of Gaudiya Vaishnavism and everybody will think, yes, I agree with you. They won't. By if you use your intelligence properly, you'll find that. And you'll derive some taste from it by using your intelligence, so that even though you know, actually, this logic is also, any logic has, can be defeated, any philosophy is incomplete. But you'll know where this comes from, as people entered into the land of faith and came out and tried to talk about it as best they could, and they did a good job. A good job, and it's charming. 
one thing we can say about Gaudiya Vaishnavism is, yes, the logic is as good as logic anywhere, better than some places, but there's nothing more charming than Gaudiya Vaishnavism. No more charming presentation. We should be charmed by it, to enter into it, and exercise the full measure of our intellect, then we'll be convinced, in spite of the inability on the part of the greatest souls to adequately describe the nature of their experience. Vedanta Sutra tells us like this, you cannot say enough about it. It's like that. What is that sutra? Ikshater Nashabdat, Shankar says, it cannot be spoken about. We say, it cannot be spoken enough about. Ikshater Na Ashabda. It's a double negative. Not that it cannot be spoken about. It cannot be spoken about enough. You cannot say enough about it. Therefore, it's not approachable by words, by mind. As far as words reach and mind reach, it goes on. That means we can talk about it forever. It has the capacity to fully consume our talking. And whatever we talk about, that's what we do. And that's what we're, <laughs> we're involved in. It has the capacity to take, uh, take over our lives. It, it has, as I've often said, it has an agenda of its own. And we're on it. We have to adjust ourselves in that way. Rather than making an agenda of our own, finding we, somebody has an agenda, and we're on that agenda. Reality himself, transcendence himself. So this is why I wanted to make this session such that I give auxiliary reading, and I want you to read it, so that you don't hear a nice talk and go home and forget about it for a month. But you go back and then you look it up and you read it those sections yourself, and find oh he only gave a summary. More was said there, and it's, it's, it's so so nice. This way is how we should engage ourselves as sadhakas, practitioners. So, any points? Any question? mentioned about identifying with somebody who is especially poor people, maybe beggars. How do you go about it? The point is that we should learn, we should cultivate spiritual life, we should learn what it means to identify with the soul itself. And if we're doing that, and to the extent that we can do that, then we will naturally have sympathy for souls that are not doing that, and therefore are suffering in so many ways without any solution to the problem. We'll have a natural compassion for them. And, and based on that kind of identification as a world person, rather than just a, a family person, a universal person, more than universal person, spiritual person, then the sorrows of other people will also bring sorrow to us. It's not that we may go then and try to mitigate their sorrow on the immediate level of their sorrow, but that we should try to work and gravitate towards and live in an orientation to life that will bring about a comprehensive solution to their suffering by becoming a devotee of Krishna, really, in the full sense, the kind of person that people look at and think, I can find a solution to my problems here, because you're full. So if you're full means you're overflowing. It means you have nothing to take from anybody. When you have, when you're full, then you feel you have nothing to take, then people want your company. They will naturally come to you and ask a solution. 
to their problem. And the Goswamis in Vrindavan, Rupsanatan, they were giving counsel to ordinary people about everything. If there was bickering in the, in the village, who was right, who was wrong, we'd bring it to Sanatan Baba. And Sanatan Baba would, they do. He has nothing to gain. He wants nothing. We can't get an objective <laughs> answer from him. He would so- solve their problem. So I'm saying you should, this really the way to develop even material compassion is through spiritual culture. So you may not have time to, what did you say, you didn't have time to feed the beggars? Yeah, I mean, I identify with them. Feeding is fine, that will not take See, off. one of the problems is this, is that's that what most we... what most people do, they just feed it and that's the end of it. So they will feed him one time or give some money mm-hmm. or give them food, which is just one time. Or he might give like 10,000 bucks, it's still, it's still it's not going to help him for a long time. One time you should do that also. <laughs> One sometime you should do that. In other words, in the course of making a comprehensive solution, if you can be a part of an immediate remedial measure as well, then you will you will do that as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, so that's the starting point. So basically mm-hmm. you have to first feed him bread and butter unless otherwise he won't listen to you about Krishna. You can you can give prashad. Yeah, yeah but I mean but but that you cannot fully play that out because you cannot say that, well, if we want to help people in the world to be Krishna conscious, then there's a lot of suffering, so we should give all the energy to open the AIDS hospice, to feed the hungry people when they're fed and when they're cured, then they'll be ready to hear about Krishna consciousness. Where will our Krishna consciousness culture be then? We are busy only with that. So there are people that are busy with those things. We should appreciate the level of their compassion and we should interface with them within the context of our own uh, spiritual culture. We should measure our progress to see if you have any material compassion. Do you actually feel sorry when you see somebody suffer? If you don't, then you're, you're not chanting very, very well. Because one of the things also that happens is when we, when we chant and we get purified gradually, we, we make some progress, we start to understand how much we're actually suffering. We don't even know how much we're suffering. Therefore, we're somewhat insensitive to the suffering of others as well. If you knew how bad off you were as a soul in this situation, oh, how busy you would be. So as you become acquainted with that, as you progress, then it will naturally extend to others. My point with regard to material compassion, I think, is for the most part this, that if you're progressing in spiritual life, you should not become find that you're becoming hard-hearted to the condition of others and just labeling their suffering as the fruits of their karma, which it is. But you should actually feel for them. But you should go, go on, as I say, focusing your attention on a comprehensive solution.